Welcome to Tigers in 20 Off the Boards, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast hosted by lead writer Christian Fowler, where he brings you the latest interviews with players, top recruits, coaches, and more in both football and basketball across the city of Memphis and around the nation. Here is your host, Christian Fowler. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Off the Boards. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me is former Memphis legend, former St. Louis Ram, should be Hall of Famer, Isaac Bruce. Isaac, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, before we get into Memphis and the season that they've had and everything, I don't know if you know this, but you've been retired for a decade now. Does it feel like you've been retired for that long, and what have you been up to since? Well, i tell you what, it uh, it, it does feel like it, man. Uh uh, it's been a while, and every time I go back to a game and I'm uh, on the sidelines just watching and seeing how big these guys are these days, man, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit strange to kind of reminisce and think about how, you know, I used to do the exact same thing. But um, I've been enjoying my time, man, enjoying my family, building my family, and, and uh, that's about it, man. So just spending most of my time with my wife and my two daughters. So, uh, you know, if you listen to a lot of former players, they'll say, uh, as as an NFL guy, you have a second life. It's like you have your NFL life, and then afterwards you have that second life. And like you said, you spend it with with friends and family and kind of soak it in. Uh, what has the contrast been like? And that always interests me in because uh, you're constantly going when you're in the NFL. You never stop. Uh, 16 weeks plus playoffs, which you guys were in for the majority of your career. So, what's it been like to kind of sit back and relax and spend more time with your family now that that you aren't playing anymore? Well, I tell you what, it's a, a it's a new training process. I mean, uh, we were so structural as far as uh, being at meetings on time, uh, being at games on time, traveling together, and, and things of that nature. But you know, once I finished playing football, and I had to start to retrain, you know, not only my mind but my body as well, because I was still getting up uh, pretty early, uh, still thinking that there were, there was football stuff to do. Um, but you know, that all swung. So I just made sure that, uh, my mindset started to shift, got prepared to finish playing football and got prepared to start doing other things. Like, like I mentioned, raising my family and it's, it's a full-time job, a job that I'm, uh, very pleased to have. And I'm sure something else you've been able to do a lot more of is watch Memphis Tigers football. And for a, a certain period of time that might have not been too fun, uh, but now at this point, obviously one of the greatest, if not the greatest era in Memphis football the past few years. And then you look at this season, 12-1, and one, conference champions, uh, the, the list of accomplishments goes on and on. What's it been like to watch your alma mater kind of get to this level that many people never thought was possible? Well, it's, it's indeed special. Um, you know, um, I, I think, you know, it is the greatest area, era of uh, Memphis football, uh, seemingly that you know, we won 12 games. We were a, I don't know, a blown call from being undefeated. And uh, having a team that's going to be representing, represented in the Cotton Bowl uh, is special, man. I think, you know, everything has has, uh, has uh, excelled as far as recruiting is concerned, as far as uh, being uh, mentioned on a national landscape. I think Memphis has really um, – um, exceeded expectations and uh i'm excited about it all the alumni that i get to speak with they're pretty excited about it and uh you know i think this started a long time ago with 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 guys like coach larry porter uh justin fuentes and what mike novell has done we've had the, the 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 ability to 
attack Memphis as just being a basketball school, but now being mentioned as a football program as well. You mentioned Memphis always being known as a basketball school, and that's obviously followed this program throughout its history. Did you ever see this moment coming? You mentioned a bit of a buildup with with some of the previous coaches, but did you ever think it would get to this level? Well, you know what? I'm a I'm a dreamer, and I like dreaming big. Um, you know, when I first got to Memphis and first introduced myself to the team, you know, I was uh, I had the aspirations of winning a national championship at Memphis, and um, you know. So I guess those dreams, you know, probably went from me to other guys who have come through the program and uh, some of those coaches as well. But just seeing it, man, just seeing the fruition of it, the manifestation of where we are right now, man, is a very exciting time for Memphis football. So I think we should dig into it a little bit now. Uh, You're obviously very familiar with playmakers. You played on one of the greatest offenses of all time. And Memphis's offense looked a little bit like the greatest show on turf this year. I'm not going to lie with uh, DeMonte Coxie, Antonio Gibson, Brady White, Kenny Gainwell. The list of playmakers goes on and on. Uh, what did you see from this offense this year, and how exciting was, was it to see this offense be one of the best in the country? Well, you know, the first ingredient I always look for is, is uh, just excitement. And what I mean by that is uh, our guys getting excited for other guys making plays. I saw that. I saw that every time. You know, Gibson would touch the football. I'd see Coxie get excited. I'd see uh, Brady White get excited. I'd see Gangwell touch the football and go, you know, catch a pass out of the backfield or, you know, uh, have a rush for about 70 yards. I saw other other guys getting excited for his success. So when I saw that, man, I was really excited, and I knew great things were ahead for this program. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the playmakers. They were all over the field. I mean, offensively, they did things that, um, that hadn't been done at Memphis before, man, in, in an explosive manner. And I think guys like Anthony Miller set the tone for that. Um, not only the offense, but when you mentioned what was happening on the special teams, uh, guys like Tony Pollard, he left their marks on the special teams, and guys just came right in behind them and picked up where they left off. And the defense played a whole lot better. They played; they were getting after the quarterback. Uh, they played inspired football, the Tim Hartz of the world. And uh, these guys played inspired football, man, and they, they, they did a lot to uh, uh, push the brand of Memphis football forward. I would imagine as a student of the game and a former great player in your own right, it's hard to watch your position group specifically. It's hard to watch receivers without noticing everything because that's kind of what you're wired to do. So what did you see from guys like DeMonte Coxie, who was expected to be the number one and had another great season, uh, one of the only – actually the only player other than Anthony Miller to have multiple 1,000-yard seasons. And then Antonio Gibson uh, kind of came out of nowhere, was a JUCO guy last year, didn't really fit in, uh, took some took him some time to adjust to the system, and then blows up this year. So what did you see? What were the intricacies that you saw from Antonio and DeMonte this season? I'll tell you what, the, the first thing I look for, um, we'll go back to these ingredients again, is, is a guy competitive. Um, that question went out the window when I first saw that coach seat. Uh, when I saw Gibson uh, get on the field finally and start being comfortable with where he was, these guys are competitive. They go out, they fight for footballs, they fight for extra yards. Uh, they were they were in the process of learning how to be a complete wide receiver. That's a, that's a guy that shows up on the film blocking for running backs, running precise routes, catching, snatching footballs out of the air, the 50-50 balls they're winning. So it was very exciting to see these guys just really, really just mature into, uh, you know, college receivers. And, you know, behind them, I see the young guys get coming off the bench, uh, emulating, mimicking what they're doing. The young 84, when he comes into the game, I think he was awarded a scholarship here recently. 
So that lets you know that the work and practice that they're doing, it's really paying off for when it comes to game day. Isaac, you were never known as the biggest or the fastest receiver, but it was really the the fundamentals and the technique and studying the game that made you a special player. Um, and I think part of that, part of just going deeper into the game, especially as a wide receiver, is doing the dirty work. Like you mentioned, being a competitive player um, and hyping your teammates up, but also these receivers take pride in blocking down the field, especially DeMonte Coxie. When you look at what he does in the blocking game, it's ab- absolutely tremendous because I feel like college receivers typically – don't get that in their collegiate career. That's typically something that comes in the NFL because they take a lot more pride in blocking as receivers in the NFL. So what's it like for you to see a guy like that, a younger guy, really really take passion for blocking for his guys and setting things up down the field? Well, it lets me know that he's a, he's a guy with, uh, with vision. I mean, you know, he not only sees himself where he is right now, but, you know, playing, you know, at the highest level. So um, if you can start it early, the earlier you start it, the better for you. Um, there are going to be times, there are going to be lulls in games where you're not getting the ball like you should be. And, uh, you know, those are times where we receivers are not to put the focus or the negative focus on offensive coordinators on quarterbacks and, uh, you know, offensive linemen that are that are wearing the same color as you. But, you know, that focus, that energy, that negative energy should go to your opponent. And I think you can, you can do that by blocking and, and making it just difficult for these guys to make tackles and make plays. You played with one of the best receiving running backs of all time in Marshall Falk, and, and, and Memphis has never really had a receiving back that went out of their way to, to line up out wide or to make big plays out of the backfield. I mean, even a guy like Daryl Henderson, who was absolutely incredible as a running back, didn't catch the ball very much. Uh, Tony Pollard kind of played both roles. Patrick Taylor doesn't catch the ball much unless it's on screen plays. Uh, D'Angelo didn't catch the ball much at Memphis, but Kenny Gainwell has kind of set a precedent as a receiving back at Memphis. So, uh, you know, what's it been like, especially for someone who who got to work closely alongside a guy like Marshall Falk, uh, to see a guy at Memphis doing those types of things, to line up out wide, to line up in the slot, to catch the ball out of the backfield? What, what's that been like? Austin Special, man. I, you know, um, you know, we have a thing in, in the NFL. It's, it's called the more you can do. And uh, just to see Kenny Gangwell have uh, a game of 200 receiving yards and 100 yards rushing, I let you know what type of player that he is. And, uh, you know, the the moment I saw Coach Norvell spread him out uh, like a wide receiver and let him go out and run routes, precise routes, and against defensive backs. And his ability to do that, man, it makes him special. So um, I think that right there alone, really puts a spotlight on his talent, his skill set, and uh, his future development because, I mean, I think he opened eyes to a lot of people across the country with his ability to catch footballs, with his ability to run routes and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, get the ball in his hand and take it the distance. So did you actually get to come to the conference championship game or did you, did you watch it from home? I didn't watch. I didn't, I didn't miss one snap at home, man. I watched it on television all the way down to the celebration, to the podium being come, uh, brought on the field. So it was a special moment. So there was a couple of players there, uh, Anthony Miller and Tony Pollard specifically, and after the game when they were doing the celebration, uh, obviously the media kind of got lost in there running around trying to uh, trying to take pictures and talk to people and everything. But I noticed that they really weren't uh, you know, running around screaming. They were just kind of taking in the moment because it's something that's it's so uncommon. It's so rare for this university that they really just took that moment in and kind of reflected. What was that moment like for you as a former player watching this team do something like that? Well, I, I tell you what, it's it's hard to turn away from it. Um, you know, I'm kind of like those guys because, 
you know, we know what we've gone through as far as being, um, you know, somewhat of subordinate on our own campus and trying to build a program and make sure that program is uh, uh, sustainable on a national level. Uh, those guys did a great job at doing that, the Millers, the uh, the Tony Pollitt, those guys. So, um, you know, it was hard for me to, to really just, you know, you know, walk away from the television from what I was seeing because we were, we were actually having a podium build in the Liberty Bowl to celebrate a championship. So um, it was special. It was special to see, you know, the, the blue, the gray, you know, the black and the big M on the side of the helmet and uh, being the last man standing. And then let's transition a little bit into the into the coaching search because obviously Memphis is looking for a new head coach. Um, and Ryan Silverfield has taken over as the interim coach. What what are your thoughts on, on Ryan as a candidate and, and you know, what, kind, what type of relationship do you have with him if you do have one? Well, you know what? I think any person uh, that that's that's coming from under the the, the leadership of Coach Novell, um, you know, would be a good candidate. I mean, I think he knows the lay of the land. Um, as we've seen here the last, you know, maybe three seasons, a lot of uh, Coach Novell's assistants have moved on to uh, different places. I wouldn't say bigger or better, but you know, they've gotten opportunities to go to a Power Five conference. So. Um, you know, with him being in, in, in the lead role right now, I think, you, you know, it, it'd be good for him, be good for the program to kind of mimic what Coach Novell was doing uh, as far as recruiting, as far as the message that he, he relays to the players. I think it'd be good for everyone. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So, Isaac, uh, I, you know, I obviously appreciate you talking about, about Memphis and what this has meant to you, but I really want to talk about your NFL career as well because I, I feel like you're someone that doesn't get enough credit. And I, th- I think nowadays with, with receivers, they're known as the divas of the league, and that's why they get so much attention. But that really wasn't your style. Um, and so to walk us through that journey, because I, I've, I've never really heard your story told. So if you could kind of walk us through that journey, you know, coming from college uh, all the way to the NFL and through your career, as as much detail as you want to go in, I, w- I would love to hear the journey for you. Well, you know, um, I always considered myself uh, a, a guy that came from, you know, the the, the non football traditional traditional school. Um, uh, what I mean by that is like you know you look at schools like uh, Memphis at that time, uh, which was Memphis State. Look at schools like Southern Mississippi. I mean, we we were. Uh, teams and schools and programs that battled each other very hard. Not only that, when we got our opportunity to play the quote-unquote Power Five schools, uh, we made it our mission to, to, to show that, you know, we belong on the same field as those guys and, uh, and any opportunity that we, we had against them, we wanted to, you know, win the game, wanted to beat them. So 
Um, you know, I kind of took that mentality to the NFL. Um, I made sure that, you know, uh, when I went against the quote-unquote blue bloods of college football on a professional level, that they were going to see the best uh, I had to give. Everything that I lost, I mean, everything I taught, everything that I learned from, you know, the University of Memphis as far as grit, grind, and being able to uh, uh, have the mentality of a guy that's, you know, probably uh, a first-round pick or a hidden gem. So I just took that to the NFL. And then every time I saw a guy from, you know, the University of Miami, Florida State of Florida or University of Tennessee, it was, it was my job to make these guys know, you know, that, you know, the same thing could have happened on a college level. So it it was fun just being in the NFL for as long as I did and have experiences and uh, building the relationships that, that were built. It was, it was a great moment for me to, and then when you reflect on your career, you obviously speak about the relationships, but when you, when you look back and reflect, and like I said earlier in the interview you've had, you've had plenty of time now to, to kind of settle in to life now and, and to reflect on that life. What, what is it like for you looking back on, on your, I believe it was 15-year playing career and all the accomplishments that you had uh, and the teams that you played on? What, what's that reflection like for you? Oh, it's awesome, man. Um, uh, I, I, just, I just think back and you know, more than anything that's on the field, just the relationships that were built, the conversations, uh, the life lessons that were learned. Um, I have no regrets. Um, because when I left after my 16-year career, um, I had squeezed the rag dry as far as playing football. So I didn't have any, uh, I didn't give them any more juice that, you know, that were, that they may have thought was coming to them. And so I was prepared to leave. And when I did, I walked away with no, no regrets. Uh, played postseason football, uh, postseason at the highest level, two Super Bowls. And uh, like I say, just the relationships, man. The relationships are bigger than anything else that, that happened in those 16 years. You know, being a guy that, that did have a playing career like you did, when you, when you get to come back and, and speak to the players that play now, what is your message for them? What, what do you tell them about, about going to the league and, and potentially being in that position? Well, it's funny because um, <clears throat> Coach Norville had me come in uh, two training camps ago, and he allowed me to speak. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about faith, uh, uh, family, and football. And, uh, you know, for me, sometimes the faith aspect of it gets lost in translation. So, um, you know, my message to them is that don't leave your faith on the shelf when you're going to play football. Faith is what got you there. Faith is what's going to lead you home. So make sure that you, 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 you're building that faith, that faith just as much as you're building your physical muscles. And make sure that you're looking and seeing things through the eyes of your faith, not only just what you're experiencing at that moment. And, and how exciting is it for you to have that platform to be able to, to make an impact on, on those younger players that are in a situation that you were once in? I'll tell you what, it, it, it's funny because you, you really never – know how many and who's looking at you at all times but you know i always believe that our lives are are, are played on a big screen uh for a lot of other people and they, they they really don't hear what you say but they you know watch what you do so um results are important to you know athletes and academia um so if there's someone who's been in the exact same program as them uh, that, that probably looks like them and uh, as, uh, as quote unquote going to the highest level of what they're attempting to do, I think the attention level shoots up 
10 times fold. How much of it, how much of a priority was it for you during your playing career to be kind of that consummate professional, to, to, to be an example and to be a role model instead of, you know, kind of going out of your way to, to be in the media and to make a big deal about everything? You know, what was that, what was that like for you? Was that just something that was instilled in you or was that on purpose to just always be the consummate professional, professional and to always be uh, kind of a role model? Cause like you said, you never know who's watching. Well, just uh, I would say more of an impartation. I mean, I think, you know, things are imparted unto us, and a lot of things are caught, not taught. Um, there, there were guys that I, that I probably saw as, you know, role models, some of them that I've never even met, and uh, they were in a position where I wanted to go. So I kind of, you know, mimic what they would do to a certain extent. Um, I would take the good stuff, leave the bad stuff, and uh, hopefully that, you know, when guys came behind me, they did the exact same thing all of the good that I could give you. And, and if, it, if it's something that you don't agree with, hey, that's what you spit out. So um, it wasn't a strain. It wasn't like as if, um, you know, I was trying to shine a light on myself, but I just allowed my light to shine. And then who was it for you? You, you? you just mentioned watching people growing up and kind of mimicking them. Who was it for you as far as when you watched football? Who were those guys that, that you tried to not only mimic your game after, but kind of mimic the way that you handled situations after? i tell you what, the first guy was Jesse Bruce. That's my dad. I mean, uh, he worked 40-plus years uh, in South Florida as a roofer, uh, you know, owning his own business. Uh, didn't have more than a sixth-grade education from Albany, Georgia. So um, just watching him get up and uh, his worth ethic, uh, his ability to galvanize uh, groups of people to lead men, um, you know, those are some of the qualities that uh, uh, I, I obtained from him that was imparted from him to me. And then there were, there were other guys who I grew up watching. I mean, I was a big Miami Hurricanes fan in the early 80s and the 90s, and uh, watching how those guys played football. I was a Mark Duper, Mark Clayton fan, the way they ran routes and that type of stuff, and Dan Marino, uh, and just a lot of, of, the, of the superior uh, uh, wide receivers of, you know, the era right before mine, during my era, and after my era. There was a lot of guys, a lot of examples who, of guys who played the game the way I wanted to play. So it wasn't hard to find these guys. So, Isaac, when you retired from the NFL, you were second in receiving yards behind Jerry Rice, who many considered the greatest overall player of all time, not just the greatest receiver of all time, ninth in touchdowns and fifth in receptions. What does that mean to you? Do you know because I, I don't I don't take you as a guy that gets too caught up in those types of things. But but what do those numbers mean to you when you when you look back on them? Well, you know what the first time I, I saw saw it and like really laid my eyes on on the numbers uh, the positioning. You know, you know I was done playing football at the time, and I, you know that's the moment I say when you exhale, and you know it's kind of startling because you know, this, this league has been around for 100 years and these are your rankings. I think there's, there's, uh, I'm not sure the number of how many guys that have actually played in the national football league, but there's quite a bit. So to have your ending results, you know, in top 10 areas, uh, it's humbling, man. And then I also know that you will be at the cotton bowl on the 27th with an autograph signing, uh, which is obviously an incredible experience for you, I'm sure, being able to do that at a New Year's Six Bowl with your alma mater playing in that game. So how excited are you for that moment? Uh, it's special, man. I mean, we have this unique opportunity to, uh, you know, have an autograph session, uh, you know, for a lot of people in, a, in a, a program that's been very dear to me. 
Um, I don't always get an opportunity to, you know, you know, have some private personal time with each fan uh, when I'm back in Memphis. And uh, I think this, this gives them an opportunity to have a picture, have an autograph, uh, not only myself, but we're trying to, you know, put a, put a couple of guys who've played at the highest level together and uh, make sure that our fans have an opportunity to have that picture, have that autograph, uh, you know, uh, before, you know, or after, you know, uh, an, an announcement that happens. So um, it makes them feel like family a little bit more. So we want to have that opportunity. And also, you know, we got some uh, T-shirts uh, and, and the link is on all my social media, man, my Twitter at Isaac Bruce uh, 80, my Facebook, Instagram, the Isaac Bruce Foundation. You can find all the info as far as the T-shirts that we have going out right now uh, that's related to the Cotton Bowl. So, um, a unique opportunity, man, just to, you know, give an hour of my time and uh, uh, make sure that, you know, we make this cuddle experience one that, you know, Tiger fans and uh, all others won't, won't ever forget. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, that autograph sign will be on the 27th. Uh, I assume all the details will be on your social media. We'll also put every detail that we get in this article and put them out on social media as well. And as Isaac mentioned, he has the t-shirts, the cotton bowl t-shirts for sale. We'll put a link in this article uh, that you can go check those out. And then Isaac, the next thing for me is the hall of fame, man. What's going on? Why are you not in the hall of fame yet? <laughs> oh man. You know, I say timing, man. Um, you know, uh, uh, I was, I was instructed a while ago just to uh, not put my trust in processes uh, or selection committees. But uh, to put and keep my trust in, in God, and He has a timing, man. So um, I, I think that's what it is. Um, uh, I'm going to trust that 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 His timing, and I'm just going to you know sit back, praise and worship like I do all the time, man. I think it's fairly obvious that at some point that will happen. If you look at the numbers, the teams you played on, the list of accomplishments you have in the league, man, I think it is coming at some point. So when and if that moment does come, what is that honor going to be like for you? You know, it's great. It's, uh, you know, we mentioned this, uh, this autograph signing here in, uh, in Dallas in a couple of weeks. Um, I think it's one of, another one of those moments where, you know, we can highlight, highlight what, what Memphis, uh, Memphis Tigers alum are doing and what we're capable, capable of. So, um, it's special. Um, I think, you know, just having it and just, uh, you know, being a part of it, man, it's, it's, it's big and I always say it's bigger than me. It's bigger than, uh, my career accomplishments, but for my family, uh, my family in Memphis, South Florida, St. Louis, and Los Angeles, it's big all the way around, man. Yeah, and so they actually have released kind of who could be on the ballot. Once again, your name will be on that list. So if you don't mind for Isaac to get him in the Hall of Fame, use the hashtag Bruce4, letter 4, HOF20. Uh, push that out there. Get Isaac in the Hall of Fame. He deserves it. Hopefully at some point he will be uh, the first Memphis Tiger in the Hall of Fame. No Memphis Tigers in the Hall of Fame. Isaac Bruce could certainly be the first. But that's really all I got for today, man. I thank you so much for joining me. We will see you in Dallas on the 27th for the autograph signing and uh, obviously look forward to everything that's coming for you, Isaac. Hey, thank you, Christian. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tigers in 20 Off the Boards. If you enjoyed this interview, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, 
and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind the scenes information. 